Leader Talks NI. Insights from Northern Ireland business leaders, brought to you by Corvus People. So we have, you know, CEOs, MDs, founders, you know, on the shop floor, rolling their sleeves up and getting, you know, product out the door um, because they can't get the people to, to do it for them. You know, this isn't just about, um, oh, well, they're a bit better at systems than us. This is like a winner takes all type situation. But that drive towards technology will um, make it a lot harder for, for people to, to compete. And, you know, so I think giving yourself time to decompress and reflect on the stuff you're doing is really important. Hi, this is Michelle Cairns from Corvus People. Um, and as part of my Leader Talks NI uh, podcast, I'm here today with Rich Dale from Flowlands. Hi. Thanks for having me. So tell me a bit about yourself. Tell me about your company. Tell me a bit about your, your background and history. Um, so I've always worked in the cloud before it was known as the cloud. It was just the, the internet um, back in the, the sort of 90s. And when I was finishing Queens, I'd taken on some sort of private clients to build websites for them, which actually stemmed out of my um, sort of failed career as a uh, musician or want to be a rock star. Oh, we're um, going to come back to that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that has kept me sane over the years, you know, playing music in different uh, different bands and um, doing my own stuff and whatnot. But basically, yeah, you know, back in the 90s, I sort of spent a lot of time evangelizing the internet and what it could do, um, not just as a promotional tool for websites, because that was okay, but not as interesting as what I've done for most of my career, which has helped companies automate processes and you know build collaboration and knowledge sharing tools using the internet um so used to be called you know building an intranet or people would want a portal or you know now it's all about platforms and um after i don't know about 15 years of doing doing that and building bespoke kind of applications for a, a different or an array of customers um but specializing in manufacturing um, businesses uh, i saw the opportunity to to build Flowlands, which is like a an sme focused democratization of, of erp you know so back in the you know 2010s people had to spend you know big numbers to get even a a standard erp system into their manufacturing business so it wasn't accessible to the smaller companies um, and for, for us, we've sort of specialized with companies that build sort of machinery or equipment that has a, an after sales requirement. So that was a way of differentiating ourselves. So we weren't just another ERP or MRP system. Um, so, yeah, so the last kind of 10, 12 years has been about transforming the business from a bespoke service company into a product based company, which um, is um, harder than it looks. What is the biggest? Because you, you know, before we started the podcast, we were chatting about the fact that you're redeveloping um, your platform, yeah, mm. you know, your product at this moment in time. What is the biggest difficulty with that as a small organization? What are the biggest challenges? Um, well, the big challenge is to not make the same mistakes twice. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff that we didn't know 10, 15 years ago that we. Um, obviously don't want to bake into the new product and we're very committed as i've said to customer success so we we have to keep our existing product su supported and we have to 
take our customers on that journey. So whenever the the product is the new one is in a fit state for them to migrate over, that they're able to do so and that they'll get the extra benefits that it has. Um, and in terms of you know where we want to be is is the go to product for that sort of high tech device and equipment manufacturer that's growing from 10, 15 people to 40 to 50 people and beyond and that the flow lens can grow with them. Um, so it's it's API enabled, um, it'll be AI enabled and can talk to the other systems that they need to use to run their business. Um, so, and I think that's where success for us lies. We're not gonna try and compete with the NetSuites or the Microsofts or whatever of this world that are trying trying to be all things to all people. Um, our success lies in that in that specialism. And what is what sort of size of manufacturers are <clears throat> your current um, target market? S- sort of below fifty people. So at the, at the minute, our our kind of customer probably around twenty people would be the the average. Yeah. Um, and that's the ones that are thirty people and beyond that have grown. You know. And they're the ones that are sort of pushing the boundaries of the, the the old product and not, you know, are having to work around its limitations. You know, so it does yeah. still does a lot of good things right for them. But as they get bigger, particularly on their shop floor, there's more people to manage and more um, production planning to to do. And unfortunately, we never really um, saw that as a priority ten years ago because we were working with half a dozen. SMEs or micro yeah. businesses, really, there are you know maybe five or ten people, and they they could shout at the five people in the factory and floor. And suddenly become bigger and bigger. And yeah, so. yeah. So that's you know it's just a one of those things you know you learn as you go. But for us, the other reason why we're kind of rebuilding the product is that if it allows us to specialize more to high tech manufacturers. Yeah. So sort of many versions of that crowd you're talking about, you know, a lot of a lot of the ones that we're focusing on are making some sort of high tech device, you know, or, or equipment, um, not so much the metal basher. And that actually is a brilliant market for you because realistically, those supply chain issues seem to be lessening. So they are starting to ramp. You know, uh-huh. that was their big difficulty. They couldn't make things quickly enough. They couldn't get the chips. They couldn't yeah. get the sort of pieces to be able to do that. And they seem to be, that marketplace seems to be catching up with itself. Yeah. You know, so that probably is a perfect marketplace for you guys. Exactly. Provided we can just ca- catch their attention, you know, and it's getting the getting their mind focused on, you know, an investment in a system now will um, set me up for the next 10, 15 years and it'll address problems that I can't fix, like the skill shortage. Yeah. So chips and, you know, semiconductors and transistors and what, all those things are starting to become a wee bit more normalized in terms of supply. That's it. But the, you know, the skills and the, the, the just labor supply is still a really big problem for manufacturers. So we have, you know, CEOs, MDs, founders, you know, on the shop floor, rolling their sleeves up and getting, you know, product out the door, um, because they can't get the people to to do it for them. So, so in terms of that product space, I mean, obviously going from services and bespoke into product, what was the big difference? What was the 
the big thing that you realized in the first couple of years, apart from the fact that it's difficult? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the problem, whenever you're so used to building bespoke software, you're used to giving people exactly what they wanted. And so the vision of FlowLens collided with, with that innate um, kind of, uh, I don't know, just imperative to, to help customers. So we ended up um, in the early days struggling with our product management. You know, we had a lot of promises that we were trying to keep. Um, and, you know, in the end, we, we, we wound up with a, a very solid core product. But that wasn't without its its headaches, and, and you know, for ourselves and and the customers that were working with us, because we were trying to do too much. So I think like that's the biggest lesson that I've learned over the years is to to be really focused on, you know, your core customer, and what value you can truly add to them and what they'll pay for, because once you've got that kind of uh, kernel of your 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 business or your value proposition, then you can go from there. Whereas if you're trying to please all the people all the time, you'll you'll fail. And you, we're we have been lucky that you know we've been able to to work, work through that, and we've built a strong customer base, both UK, Ireland, and Australia, and now in the US as well. Um, but you know it could have it could have gone the wrong way equally. And was there that sort of pivotal moment where it swayed both ways, or? Well, there was a point in time, like we, we, there was a point in time when we knew it, the time had come to to to, to move away from services. You, you know, we, there was a lot of knowledge that we had, and a lot of experience in building applications that we thought, well, you know, we're better placed than most to to turn this knowledge into a product. Um, but that that there was probably about a two two year period where we were our, we were saying we were a product company, but we were still acting like a like a services, services company. company. Um, so and now it's, I was going to say it's come full, full circle, but now we're so comfortable in being a product company that we know the level of service that we want to provide and that we've created a level of flexibility in the product that allows us to, to um, say yes more to customers um, without without building a bespoke add-on for them or without building a you know this sort of thing that sticks on the side that you regret for the next 10 years because you know you have to remember about it and not break it um, whenever the you know you're updating the product and always I'm always interested how has your vision of the business that you were building changed because it never stays still let's be honest it, it does change so what what was it then and what is it now um, well, I think it's it's that it's that you know no no plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> um, I'm going to use that. I like that. Yeah. So and you know it's it's an odd way of describing your customers, <laughs> but um, another like um, guy who was ran a, a sort of a business process automation business that he sold um, probably about ten years ago. Um, bumped into him on the Stansted Express one morning at like 7 a.m. And, uh, you know, I was full of all these ideas. And he was just like, the only thing that matters is your customers and your product. You know, that's the thing you, know, you will succeed if you focus on your customers and your product. And by extension, you know, knowing who your customers aren't is critical. It comes back to, you know, pleasing or trying to please all the people all the time. So, you know, there's a term called an ideal customer profile. Um, and the vision of, of FlowLens 
broadly has stayed the same because we want to be the, the kind of customer lifecycle management solution for our customers so that all of the things that it takes for them to manage their customer lifecycle can be done in FlowLens and Zero or, or QuickBooks. But for us, knowing which part of the market that we're best um, geared to, to helping has evolved and that has actually become sort of um, narrower you know so high-tech kind of equipment device um, um, machinery type manufacturers who have relatively complex um, products have a, a longish assembly process um, and in most cases how you have a, an after-sales service component if it's either either directly with customers or to their their dealers which means that they that asset that they've they've nurtured a customer, they've sold them it, they've built it, and then they can service it. So they have that long term relationship with with the customer. And as a business, you know, you are at that lovely moment where you have taken the jump into international markets, which I'm sure was, mm-hmm. you know, something that you thought about for some time. What's probably what prompted it, and what have you learned from it, and and what success have you had in it? Um, I think it was partly just by accident with COVID because, you know, things got quiet, obviously, for the first few months after lockdown. And that allowed us to to put some effort into things that is typical with any small business that, you know, just been on the back burner. So um, we were able, with some help from Invest in IE, to do in-market research in Australia and identify um, a couple of potential partners. And just by virtue of having a bit more time on our hands for that, you know, that period, I, I don't know, sort of March to September, October of that year, um, we were able to, you know, figure out how to make it work, figure out what time was, you know, 7 a.m. here was 5 p.m. there. Um, and we were lucky to secure a partner called Invisible Business Solutions in Brisbane, who are zero um, certified and get our kind of customer so um so that that was educational from the point of view of okay how how do we operationalize this if we were to grow this and how do we ensure the level of quality and you know because the product kind of sells itself but it's how that how our partner can implement it as if they were us as far you know customer gets the same level of of service and knowledge that as if they were dealing directly with us so that was probably the hardest bit, not just because it's it requires time and iteration and FlowLens isn't a simple product like a CRM or a you know a MailChimp or you know even a, a finance package can be relatively straightforward. It's you know a lot of moving parts and a lot of business processes that it can support. So you know you have to bring bring the partner along and get them get their heads around that. Um, and then probably the final part of it is helping promote the fact that they, you know, they're there and there's, you know, customers in that market that can can now access FluLens um, with confidence rather than thinking if I buy this, am I going to have to wait for Belfast to, to wake up <laughs> before I get an answer to my support request? So we'd say we haven't really solved that, you know, the promotional problem because we haven't, you know, gone back to Australia and done on, on the grounds stuff, but uh, that will that will come whenever the new version of our, of our product gets out in the market. And in terms of that product space, 
what is the advice? And, and I know you've sort of spoken about the advice, know your client base, you know, and know your product really as being, but what's the advice you would have given yourself 10 years ago <laughs> before, you know, there's always that sort of moment when you go, God, I wish I'd known that. <laughs> I know. Well, it really is being ultra, ultra focused on a, on a, on a, ideal customer profile and a set of features that you know minimum viable product that you know will that they will pay for because then you have a a business you know it's very easy as a a problem solver to think you can solve any problem with code and you know with features Um, and that might be true if you've got a mega platform like you know SAP or whatever but you have limited resources and um, being in a niche is much easier to position, you know, so the concept of positioning is probably a different way to look at what I have learned in that um, how the market sees themselves and their problems and, and how you can then plug into that um, and be the right solution to their problem. Um, so there's actually a really interesting um, a book by April Dunford um, about positioning. Um, which is highly recommended for anyone in in our game because she, she has come up through uh, lots of um, software companies and positioning is what you know what she's all about and for for small companies trying to be all things to all people you're going to lose if you can figure out that connection with with a key customer and a repeatable customer then you've got a business and what about sort of here in Northern Ireland in that manufacturing space? Because you hear a lot about the the bigger owner managed businesses, you you know, and the the global businesses. You know, Northern Ireland, there's a lot of macro micro businesses that are, you know, small sub fifty people, sub hundred people, mm-hmm. and I think you know that space is really busy. So what have you seen? What are the changes over the last sort of three four years that you've seen in that space? Um, I'll be honest with you, we. We don't really, really do much business in Northern Ireland. Really? No. We were lucky enough in the early days before we built Flowlands, we were lucky enough to work with Survitech Group, formerly RFDE and CDE, um, who were brilliant clients to have. And we learned a lot from them and not afraid to invest because they could see the benefits. Um, but Northern Ireland sort of SMEs in, in our space have a, and most of them have a lot to learn and understand about about the benefits of and technology. Value. Exactly, yeah. You know, it's just it just seems to be a cultural thing where um, it's easy to throw an admin person with a, a few spreadsheets at something that you know the concept of um, spending money on software hasn't hasn't totally sunk in yet. So that's an interesting one because I always imagined your business would be more local than it would be. Originally, you know, it was because like, it was easier. You know, for yeah. a smaller company, it's much easier if we if it's we local. thought that. Yeah, we, but you know, and maybe I don't know. But one of the challenges that our chairman set me whenever we um, first joined forces um, about ten years ago was, you're not going to get big in Northern Ireland. You know, there's a market across the water there that is you know fifty times, sixty times bigger at the time than the Northern Ireland. So, you know, you need to you need to be there, you need to be getting your brand out there and you need to be doing doing the work. And that's what we did do. Um, we spent a lot of time at exhibitions and trade shows and, you know, just generally establishing ourselves over there. And 
it's not that whenever we do direct marketing or you know sort of um, ads that are targeting places, we don't leave Northern Ireland out. Um, but just the uptake isn't the uptake there in isn't, Northern Ireland. Isn't there? Yeah. And is yeah. that lack of? That's a really interesting one. Is it lack of vision? Is it inter or or is it just that financial? I don't know. I think there's there's a lack of. Um, I think it's more a lack of understanding. I think that there's because the thing is, like there's lots of brilliant companies in Northern Ireland, and you, you know there are exceptions to the rule that I'm describing, um, and those exceptions are are you know head and shoulders above their competitors, um, and I mean this is true of any any of our markets, if you like. That the, the as technology evolves and AI becomes more prevalent. You know, this isn't just about, um, oh, well, they're a bit better at, at systems than us. This is like a winner-takes-all type situation that people want to own the customer relationship and that life cycle yeah. completely. And if you don't get the technology that's going to drive that, then you just won't have a business. Um, so, um, and fair enough, people will always need, you know, trailers and crushers and, you know, some of this machinery. Um but that drive towards technology will um, make it a lot harder for for people to to compete. And sort of culturally, what what's important to you from a culture standpoint? Um, <clears throat> I think um, customer service is probably the top of our agenda. You know, we're we're very customer focused, and um, creativity and co- collaboration. You know, the the combination of those things. Um, Bounded by knowing who who our ideal customer is, you know, allows us to be challenging to one another, um, but but you know, play to each other's strengths, because typically we know we've got the customer's best interests at heart, in you know, in any decision we're trying to make around, particularly around the product, because you could build you know features till the cows come home, um, but it's deciding what is most impactful um, for us to create a sustainable business but that will actually add value to the customer so and you can't do that in a, a, in isolation you have to do it with customer feedback you have to do it as a team with the developers and the customer success team sales you know everyone's everyone who has a touch point with the customer understands um, what's going on and obviously support as well you know because the customer is in touch with us and you know, you just get feedback from all these channels and and creatively <laughs> prioritize and come up with with stuff that they'll pay for. And who had the biggest, or <clears throat> maybe what book, or what had the biggest sort of impact in terms of how you lead people? How I lead people. Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a big f- sort of believer in you know the these de- demagogic kind of uh, business gurus. You know, I read a lot of business books, but it's I think it's the people that you work with and the people you see up close. Um, you know, and I've been lucky enough to work over the years with people that are um, really effective uh, leaders. They're really effective time managers, and they're they're good communicators. And you know, I'm not. I'm so proud as to think I'm great at everything and I love observing good operators whether you know whether they're working with us directly or 
you know, a lot of our customers obviously are small businesses, so we come into contact with their um, with their MDs and founders and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, I take a lot of inspiration for that, and I, I try to communicate regularly with you know a, a core group, and I'm also part of a CEO Connect group, which is sort of organised by Catalyst, um, and there are a lot of great people there doing a lot of really interesting things who you know we all learn from each other so um yeah so it's really a hands-on or on the ground um learning and inspiration that i take most from and how have you sort of experienced that attraction of talent within technology because because that's that's the space that has always been the most difficult. I don't care what invest in. I tell to mm-hmm. um, FDIs that are coming into Northern Ireland, you know, that is a really competitive space. So what makes, you know, what have you done to make yourselves attractive or what has your strategy been in terms of attraction? Um, well, I'll admit we haven't needed to grow very quickly in the last few years um, because we've, you know, COVID basically, we just battened down the hatches. Um, I think our, our strategy now that we are looking at the next kind of five years is very much to offer um, a very interesting um, area of work. You know, it's not for everybody, but if, you know, I, I, I love visiting our customers and seeing how they do things and understanding how their products work. Um, you know, so for anyone who has a curiosity about, about how things get made, and about how you can then help that company make those things more efficiently. Like our, our kind of motto is to help our customers be the best that they can be. So, you know, that's an easy sell for somebody. You either, you either get it or you don't. You know, yeah. And it's fine if you don't, if you're not into that kind of thing, totally fine. But, you know, that's that's what we're here to do. Um, and if you're a customer facing person, you know, you, you will be on site, you'll be able to to get your hands dirty and understand how customers work uh, where if you're on the technology side of things you'll be translating that into um products and, and and features that that we can offer an sme affordably um but that will have a high leverage in terms of the impact that it will make so what advice would you give your younger self i think if it was to go right back to the start i would i would say product 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 you know right right from the get-go um, you know, there it just sometimes frustrates me how many product well frustrates me how many product opportunities have been floating past me when I've been too focused on other things. And I don't, I, I don't um, mean that I, I regret giving our customers great service and building great solutions for them in the early days. Um, but there are so many products now that are there that were kind of staring me in the face. Um, for things that we were either building for certain customers or ideas that I'd had for my family business or whatever. So, um, so keep it simple. Well, yeah, keep it simple and productize. And beyond the actual product piece, what advice would you give yourself? Um, probably do less. You know, I, I'm one of these people who I just like be busy and I like doing things, um, but sometimes. You know, I was mountain biking with my kids last week and, you know, it's some some epiphanies as you do that I wouldn't have done if I'd been working through the half term week. And, you know, so I think giving yourself time to decompress and and reflect on the stuff you're doing is really important. 
Um, and it's easy for me now, I'm 47, to to say that I'm knackered all the time anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you can you you know, if I had slowed down a wee bit more in the early days, I probably could have um, stepped back and seen some opportunities that might have been more lucrative then. Um, but hindsight's a wonderful indeed, thing indeed indeed so more importantly what is your band's name and do you guys still gig or i well i so we have a, a band called the boxcar blues brothers which is oh, I'm so looking that up i know well unfortunately we're in a bit of a hiatus at the minute because we just covid um killed the the, the momentum of the band and although we, we did a couple of gigs last year just we're a nine-piece band and trying to get nine people in a room to rehearse never mind do a gig nine mm. wow is you know it's pretty challenging so and just people's lives went in different directions so we haven't officially split up and you know when things calm down we might get back together again because uh, it's brilliant fun and you know we've got to do a lot of different gigs and cool places but um between that and like my my younger son is leaving primary school this year and i'll oh uh, that's a bit that's a big one going into secondary school yeah yeah so i've been part of the pta for a few years and we we do a a kind of a parents band thing for the school fair so we're going to ramp that up a bit this year and do a gig um for for the parents and raise a few quid for the the pta and apart from that i'm recording my own music the odd time whenever i have five minutes to <laughs> to do it but i might actually release something on spotify in the new year when i get around to it and what's what's the coolest gig what's the one the pinnacle um probably well the most it depends if you're looking for credibility or just pure crack um so my most credible gig was supporting gomez and the ambassador theater in the band that i was in about 20 years ago to sold out kind of crowd and it was really good fun and play the Ulster Hall and a few other big gigs like that as well but unfortunately Mr Big didn't come out of the wings and sign us after that but um and then the Boxcar Blues Brothers is just such a fun band like we've played lots of great gigs we we um headlined at the you know the open um at Portrush just my neck of the woods yeah. oh right yeah so we on the Saturday night they had the fireworks and all that kind of thing and we were the the, oh, the entertainment and we've played like the east side festival and uh, we played in the mandela hall in queens in fact our last gig was in the mandela hall um so yeah there's too many to to mention rich it's been an absolute pleasure not at all thanks for having me thank you for listening to leader talks ni don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes corvus people Recruit, develop, retain.